church tonight on Super Bowl Sunday night. This is a good Sunday night crowd. It's a really good Super Bowl Sunday night crowd. And we especially give tribute, honor, praise, and notice to the Flynn's for being here. Uh, they are Patriot fans. I believe that he is the godfather to Tom Brady. I'm not sure. And I think he was Belichick's mentor. And I believe that he was in Kraft's wedding. I'm not sure about all that. Uh, but they are, they are big fans, and I'm glad they're here. I tell our people, that's why God made DVRs. So that you could still be in church. And I appreciated the music again this evening. I have a twisted mind. You'll find that out if you haven't yet. Uh, I tell my members, you may think I say some things I shouldn't say, but if you knew how many things I thought that I didn't say, you'd be really proud of me. <laughs> and, uh, and, and one song led me to another song, and I remembered a lady in our church, and she was a wonderful singer. Her name was Jerry Motsky. She'd been in heaven for many, many years. She had to weigh 325 pounds. And she sang in groups, she sang solos, she's great, had a tremendous voice. And uh, there, there was one time we had a little trouble when she sang. She sang the song, He's So Big and I'm So Small. And uh, we, <laughs> uh, we, we had a little trouble with that, but it's not as bad as the lady I heard about who, uh, who got up, and she was really, really large, and she sang, He Lifted Me. And the song leader, unaware of the irony, said, let's all now sing our next congregational song, It Took a Miracle. <laughs> so I, I, I have a twisted mind. I really do. Take out a piece of paper for me, if you would, please. Any kind of a piece of paper. If you don't have a piece of paper, do this mentally. Yeah, you can take the back of a bulletin, an old check deposit, a $100 bill. I had an interesting time getting here this evening. The GPS told me not to go back on the expressway, just to go down Sheridan to Flamingo. Then it turned me, told me to turn on 4th Street. But the government told me not to. It had all these little signs up there that said it was closed. So I thought, well, I'll go around and cut in another way. I saw one road looked like it might go in. It was a gated community, so I didn't try that. And then I found out it was taking me just around the block again. Big block, you know, Flamingo down to Pine and back around. So I, I cut through the, the, uh, the shopping Mall, mall, and I saw a little road, and I got here, and I'm glad I'm here. And uh, the, the tire was a little low. They gave me the church van to drive, so I stole four quarters from the dashboard and put some air in the tire. I did offer the preacher the dollar back, and he said, that's all right. He said, that's what they're there for. I usually call them for tolls or something like that, but tolls, tires, it's all right. Uh, take that paper, and on the right side, put any kind of a mark, if you would, please. Dot, X, check, star, Either side, doesn't matter. Right side, put a mark. Left side, put a similar mark. Let the mark on the right side represent a really good Christian. The best Christian you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, they would be a 10. Let the mark on the left, if you can do this writing down fine, if not, do it in your mind, represent a really bad Christian. On a scale of 1 to 10, they barely register. Now, without looking at anyone else's paper, even if you are a wife or a mother, would you put a mark on the paper where you think you are in your Christian life? Then fold the paper up and look with me, if you would please, at the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation, chapter 3, and we're going to begin reading at verse 14. 
Spirit of God has moved on John to write these words, and unto the angel of the church, oh, I'm sorry, stand with me as we read, I apologize, if you are able and willing. Revelation 3, verse 14, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Our Father, I thank you for your wonderful, perfect word. Lord, the preacher has correctly said that what happens here is more important than anything happens anywhere else in the world as far as the, their entertainment, all that stuff. And I certainly agree to that, but Lord, it'll only matter if you meet with us. And so, Holy Spirit, direct me to say what I should and help us to listen purposefully and determine to be good ground, to receive what you have for us. And like the preacher cautioned us to promise ahead of time that we'll do whatever you tell us. Make this a turning point in many lives and a help to the people who make up this wonderful church. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. The Lord Jesus comes to the church at Laodicea and he makes a pronouncement about them. It doesn't sound too bad. He said, I know your works. And he does. He knows mine, he knows yours. And he says, your works are neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm. I kind of like that. When I was in school, C's were my friend. C's kept me from getting grounded. C's kept, kept me from losing privileges at home. And uh, they didn't take near as much work as A's and B's. It sounds not bad. For about a little boy went to school and he came home. His mama said, well, you're a good boy today. And he thought a minute and he said, no, ma'am. She said, were you bad today? And he thought again. He said, no, ma'am. She said, you weren't good. You weren't bad. What were you? And he thought a little longer. He said, Mama, I guess today you'd say I was just comfortable. We like to be comfortable, don't we? Don't like our houses too hot or too cold. Uh, Want to have things that are easy for us. And the Lord Jesus says to this lukewarm church, he says, I would thou wert cold or hot. Now, wait a minute. I understand the Lord Jesus saying to a lukewarm Christian, I wish you'd warm up. I wish you'd be hot. Why would he say, I'd rather you be cold than lukewarm? Suppose that I gave the invitation tonight and said, I want all you lukewarm Christians to promise God from now on you're going to be cold Christians. Would the preacher be encouraged? Would the Lord Jesus be pleased? I not only wouldn't be invited back another year, I wouldn't be back tomorrow night. 
Preachers say, good night, he's already got him from lukewarm to cold. He's going to send him to the devil before it's over. Why did Jesus say that? Let me see if I can help and illustrate this. We'll talk about the pronouncement. I'd like three young men to help me, and they get extra credit if they volunteer. Thank you, Kyle. That's wonderful. <laughs> so if you'd stand right here, Kyle's going to represent a really great Christian. He's a wonderful Christian. On a scale of 10, he's a 1 to 10. He reads the Bible every day, memorizes the Scripture, he goes to church every time the doors are open, he ties, he gives an offering, he wins people to Christ, he passes out tracts, he's separated from the world, doesn't watch junk on the television, doesn't go to nasty movies, doesn't listen to the wrong kind of music, and I can tell by your expressions I picked the wrong person. Uh, we're going to pretend Kyle's a great Christian. And uh, let's see, Andrew, would you help me? I'm keeping it in the family so far. Andrew, would you stand over there? Andrew is going to represent a really lousy Christian. On a scale of 1 to 10, he's a point zero 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 one all the way over by the piano, if you would, there. Yeah. He's trying to be lukewarm, but he's really cold. Uh, he never goes to church unless it's Christmas or Easter. When he goes, he not only doesn't put anything in the offering plate, the ushers watch him to make sure he doesn't take anything out. He uses bad language. He goes to nasty movies. He drinks. He smokes. He goes to all kind of awful places. He never prays unless he thinks he's about to die. But he is saved. There are saved people like that. Read your Bible. Just Lot vexed his righteous soul. I don't see anything good about Lot in the Old Testament. See, you're not saved by your works. You're saved by your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're saved, you'll either be under conviction, you'll be either living a changed life or a chastised life. You can't be saved and live a wicked life and not be convicted by the Spirit of God. All right, one more. Remind me of your name. Jay. Yeah, Jay, would you stand right here? Jay's going to represent a lukewarm Christian. Jay is not a bad guy. Some people... Some people wear their feelings on their sleeves. Jay wears his hat on his belt. And it's, it's all right. But Jay goes to church most of the time. He may miss, you know, like Super Bowl Sunday night or uh, there's a lot of work he's got to do. But he goes pretty well. He usually tithes, although sometimes he'll be off on vacation and he won't tithe. He kind of figures, you know, if you don't eat at the restaurant, why pay for the meal? Try that with your mortgage payment. I was out of town two weeks. Here's a half payment. See how that works. He's pretty careful what he watches on television. Sometimes he gets interested in a really cool program and he kind of watches some things that are off color and some things he shouldn't see, but he's pretty careful. He's not a bad guy. He, uh, he'll sometimes go on a special Sunday outreach, uh, Saturday outreach, and pass out some tracks. He'll invite people to some of the activities at the church. Uh, he's a pretty good guy. Not perfect. Now, next week, you can either have Andrew or Jay join your church. You can't have Kyle. I'm taking him home with me. After 44 years of the same church, I deserve one member like that. So would you rather have somebody come some of the time or none of the time? Reads the Bible some, maybe two, three, four days a week. May miss sometimes if he gets a little tired, but pretty good at it. Yeah. Somewhat separated, not separated at all. Somewhat of a soul winner, not a soul winner at all. So gives some or gives nothing. Who would you rather have join your church next Sunday? Tell me. Just tell me. Uh, uh, you know why I would take Jay? I'd take Jay because I'd reason if he's in church some, he's got a chance to grow. I would reason some money is better than no money. And some Bible reading is better than no Bible reading. So the Lord comes, he makes a pronouncement about this church. He makes a pronouncement about their relationship to him. He says, you're not hot and you're not cold, you're lukewarm. And then he makes a pronouncement about his reaction to them. 
And it's really strange, he said, I would that word cold or hot. Why did he say that? People say, well, we like to eat hot things and we like to uh, eat cold things, but nobody wants to eat anything lukewarm. Really? What temperature do you take your potato chips? You freeze them or fry them? I just take them right out of the bag. <laughs> you had some at the dinner last night. They were, they were neither cooked nor cold. They were just room temperature. What about your peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? I guess you could grill them. I don't know most people do. I guess you could stick them in the freezer. My, my mother would stick sandwiches in the freezer so we'd have them for lunch. The trouble is they're often tuna fish, and by the time they froze and they melted, they're really soggy. And uh, so I try to trade them for somebody else, but I didn't do very well with that. So why does the Lord Jesus say, I would thou wert cold or hot? The next point in the message, we talked about the Lord's pronouncement, is a perception. Now note, if you will, the self-perception of the lukewarm church. Watch what the Bible says. The Lord Jesus says, I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art neither cold nor hot but lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth. By the way, that's a very strong reaction. It means literally to vomit out of the mouth. It, it, it means the Lord Jesus is saying to the lukewarm church, the lukewarm Christian, you make me sick to my stomach. So then because thou art neither cold nor hot but lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth. What's the next word in your Bible? What's the next word? Because. Oh, I'm guessing the Lord Jesus is fixing to tell us why. Because. When you have a question about the Bible, don't start by reading a commentary. Keep reading the Bible. Read the Bible first and the commentary later on. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not, thou art poor, wretched, blind, miserable, naked. The self-perception of the Laodicean church is, I'm really in pretty good shape. I may not be perfect, but nobody's perfect. Yeah, I could improve, but everybody could improve. You know, I travel around, and I've been preaching for many years, 60 or more meetings in a year, and uh, grateful to have the opportunity to do that. But, but I find out some things about our, our churches that are like this church, Baptist churches, independent churches, Bible-believing, Orthodox, fundamental churches. You know what? I find out most of them still use the King James Bible. I like that. Most of them still have Sunday night church. I looked at your choir larger this evening than this morning. I know that uh, Brother Kenny made and. and uh, an invitation for you to come. Uh, our choir is always larger on Sunday night than it is on Sunday morning. Our orchestra is always larger Sunday night than Sunday morning. That's because we get people out in the bus ministry in various places. And I don't know what these one service a week churches do. If people serve God, how can they get any church? I don't know how that works out. And you still have Sunday night church, and, and you still dress nice, and you have music that honors God, and you're not going to turn your service into some kind of a rock and roll deal, and, and you say, praise God! We're not turning out like those other churches and going liberal, and I do praise God. And you individually, you're here Sunday night, Super Bowl Sunday night. Wow. Rams versus the New Evangelical Patriots. I mean, the New England Patriots. <laughs> and, and that's great. 
Here's what we think. We think revival starts, I mentioned this the other night, with God going after the worst people. I told you it starts with the best people. And here's what we think. If we think revival, we always pray for somebody else. Lord, if you get that ornery husband of mine sweetened up in this revival, I'd sure appreciate it. Lord, my mother in law's been driving me nuts. I pray she'd get revived and not be such a pain in the neck as she has been. Now, we don't sing it this way, but here's what we really, we really mean. Revive them again. Fill their hearts with your love. May their souls be rekindled with fire from above. It's my brother and my sister, but not me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Lord, he's the one. He's the one. He's the one. He's the one. He's the one who needs revival. He's the one. He's the one. I was a kid. Went to a camp and they preached hard and every night they'd want you to go to a campfire and throw a piece of wood in and tell the decision you'd made. And I'd been there before and knew what they did. I stood up the first night and I said, well, I just want to thank God that I can start the week right with him. Now, didn't that sound pious? You know what I was saying? Don't you expect me to make any decisions this week? Don't expect me to admit I've listened to the wrong kind of music, had a bad attitude toward my parents, run around with the wrong friends, allowed bad thoughts to control my mind. Oh, no, I'm just fine, thank you. Self-perception. Now, here's why the Lord Jesus said, I'd rather you be cold than hot. You go to Andrew and say, Andrew, you are a lousy Christian. I know I had lunch with him today. What's he going to say? I am not. I went to church last Christmas. I am not. I didn't even steal any money from the offering plate when I went. Tried to, but they kept watching me. What's he going to say? He's got no excuse. Because thou sayest, he says, you know what the trouble with you is? You're better than other people. You're not as bad as some people, and you're much better than you think you are. You're, you're not nearly as good as you think you are. The self-perception. Here's the Savior's perception. Watch this. He said, and knowest not. This is not a hypocrite. This is one who's guilty of self-deception. He really believes he's better than he is. He really believes that he's pretty good. He really believes he doesn't have much to straighten out in his life. Knowest not that thou art poor and wretched and blind and miserable and naked. Knowest not. You know, most Christians don't know what the surrendered, spirit-filled Christian life is even like. Because we're just in that lukewarm place. We uh, hear people say, wow, I had a great time in my Bible reading. And we say, oh, that's wonderful. We read our Bible. It's kind of like um, eating cornflakes with no milk or sugar. Good for you, but not much fun. People say, man, we had a tremendous prayer meeting. Yeah, we go to prayer meetings when we have to, and we can't get out of it, and we never know what to say, and we hope they get done before the time comes for us to pray. And when we do pray, we just kind of, you know, Lord, bless me and my wife and my kids, us four no more, amen. People talk about, man, we're out soul winning, and we had this great visit, and God gives us this great opportunity. And we say, well, that's nice. But if we ever did have to go, a good time for us would be maybe uh, 
Oh, four cards, three people not home, one not interested, and 45 minutes eating Krispy Kremes. Knowest not. You know what happens in churches like this? We know the world's bad. We know you use drugs, you can get wiped out, lose your mind. We know if you drink, you can wind up losing your job and your family. We know if you flirt with that woman at the office, you wind up making a mess of your marriage. We know that. And so we're going to be pretty good, but we kind of have that attitude. I mentioned this morning, you talk to live the Christian life. We hear the music over in the distance. We see the lights blinking. We hear the laughter and the tinkling of the glasses, and we kind of wonder if there's something over there that isn't fun that we're kind of missing out on. Young people especially like that. When I was in college, I worked at Sears selling shoes most of the time. They had a big tennis shoe sale every spring. They'd get brand new galvanized steel garbage cans and they would take the shoes and put them by size in a garbage can. They gave me a crew of special needs young men, three of them plus me, and our job was to take the shoes out of the boxes, tie them together, and put them in the correct garbage can. And I'd make sure they put the right size shoe in the right can. And one of those young men, he had a little, little mannerism. He always went like this. Never stood still. Whole time, tying the shoes together, throwing them in the can. And I wondered, what does that guy do when he sits down? I was curious. I took him out to lunch. He did this when he sat down. <laughs> One of those guys was named Ernest. Ernest had a, a weak jaw and a protruding nose and beady little eyes. He looked like a weasel. I would give Ernest rides home at night. His house wasn't too far from mine. And he got comfortable with me. And one night he looked over at me and he said, did you ever? Did you ever want to get a house and make it look like there's people in there and then set it on fire and watch it burn? No, Ernest. Not on my bucket list. I'd like to go hang gliding sometime or maybe parachuting, but. And then I had this flash, this thought that popped into my head. If I were a woman, I would have said I had intuition. But I'm, I'm not a woman, so I just had this flash. And I'm not even thinking I might be. Don't worry about using the other restroom. And, and I said, Ernest, you would never want to do that with real people in there. And his beady little eyes glistened. And his face gleamed. And he said, I think it'd be fun. Ernest had been through enough therapy to know he wasn't really supposed to burn down houses with people in them. He had enough instruction to know that if people thought he was wanting to do that, they'd put him back wherever he came from before he came to the shoe sale. But he thought he was missing something. He thought they were robbing him of a good time. He thought that, that one of his greatest joys in life had been taken away from him. And that's what we get like. And I, I want to remind you, the devil's a liar. He's a murderer from the beginning and a boat not in the truth. When he speaks of the lie, he's speaking of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. All of his pearls are paste pearls, and all of his nickels are wooden nickels. And the world and the flesh and the devil don't have one good thing for the child of God. Knowest not. You know what Jesus said to the lukewarm Christian, lukewarm church? He said, you don't even know what you're missing. I got so much for you, but you just stay there in that lukewarm position. Savior's pronouncement about them. He said, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. His reaction to that, it make me sick to my stomach. 
the perception, the self-perception of the Laodicean church, I'm really not that bad. The Savior's perception, you're way worse than you think you are. And then the Lord gives a prescription. Fellas, thank you. You did a great job. Would you give him a hand? And uh, you see, uh, see Brother Chris afterwards, he'll give you each 20 bucks. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Here's what the Lord Jesus says. I counsel thee. The Bible says, by wise counsel make war. And a multitude of counselors, there is safety. I hope you get good counsel from your preacher. But what if you could get counsel from the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you take it? Well, he's about to give us some. I counsel thee to buy of me gold dried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. He's attacking the Laodicean church of their areas of perceived strength because they had a banking industry. They were kind of like the Switzerland of their time, and they were impressed with that. They had a garment industry. They made beautiful garments, and they were impressed with that. They had an ISAB that really helped people's uh, vision in different circumstances, and they were really impressed with that. And he said, you don't need physical riches, material riches. You need spiritual riches. And you don't need to be clothed in that white raiment. You need to have the robes of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he said, you don't need to see things from a human perspective. You need to have spiritual perception. And then he says this, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. You're not receiving chastisement when you're out of the will of God. The Bible says you're not his son. Be zealous, therefore, repent. The first prescription the Lord gives to the Laodicean church is to acknowledge your sin. The word repent is made up of two other words, the word perceive and the word after. We live in Michigan. My wife's sister, I think, watches the Weather Channel full time. And she's across town from us. And uh, my wife will sometimes say something like this, Honey, I know you're supposed to go somewhere to preach tonight. That's actually, actually, she said this today. As I walking, she said, Yeah, but on Thursday, it's supposed to be freezing rain. And I'm getting home, Lord willing, Wednesday, preaching Wednesday night, driving up to Camp Kobiak, about an hour and a half from our church, and preaching a snow camp for there on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And, uh, and she, she's kind of concerned about that. So my wife says, Honey, I, uh, let's say she calls them. She says, Kathy was watching the Weather Channel, and I checked it out. And we're supposed to have two inches of ice on all the highways. They say nobody should go anywhere. You think you ought to cancel the meeting? And I would say, nah, it'll be okay. That's a manly response. By the way, I wouldn't even doubt about it. Ladies say to me sometimes, are you sure? Don't ask that question of a man. We are always sure. We are not always right, but we are always sure. And so I go to the meeting, and man, I get about half hour down the road, and I can't keep the car on the road. I'm about to go in the ditch. Things are terrible. I can barely see out the windshield. I say, whoo, I better find some place to stop and spend the night. I just repented. I didn't perceive it at first, but I perceived it afterwards. We, uh, we love 1 John 1, 9. We should. If thou, if thou shalt confess, I sin, I'm faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But you know that word confess doesn't mean to say, okay, I blew it. You know, it literally means to say the same thing as. I've been in court where people had to elocute their crimes to accept a plea deal. 
And they had to stand up and the judge would say, what did you do? And they'd have to say what they did. Otherwise, they couldn't get the plea deal. They had to acknowledge what they were wrong. They had to say the same thing as what their behavior was. And here's what the Lord Jesus says to the church at Laodicea. Quit saying about your behavior what you say about your behavior and start saying about your behavior what I say about your behavior. Have you ever heard a great Christian that you found out later did something really terrible? It was going on while they were serving God, it seemed. And you thought, how in the world could they do that? I've studied and thought about it. I think I know the answer. They do that the same way you and I do the things we do. Oh, you say, Brother what? Now, wait a minute. I don't have anything in my life like that. That's what I'm talking about. We always excuse our sin. And we usually can find somebody whose sins are worse, and they make us feel better, don't they? When my dad ran the mission in Detroit, he said the drunks had a hierarchy. One guy would say, well, I may get drunk, but I'm not mean when I get drunk. And the next guy would say, well, I may be mean when I get drunk, but I don't beat my wife. And the next guy would say, well, I may beat my wife, but I don't cheat on her. And every drunk thought they were better than another drunk. And the Lord Jesus says, get, get off of that. Uh, uh, don't be asking uh, what you think about yourself and tell me what you think about yourself. But he says, I want you to say about your behavior what I say about your behavior. Acknowledge your sin. And there's a second part of the prescription. The Lord Jesus comes to the Laodicean church. And he gives them verse 20 of Revelation 3. It's to many people a beautiful verse, one of the most lovely verses in the Bible. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice will open the door, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. And, and they use that in giving people the gospel. And Jesus is waiting at the door, you can come in. I'm not mad if you do that, but this verse is not written to unsaved people. It's written to the church at Laodicea. It's one of the saddest verses in the Bible because it places the Lord Jesus outside the door of his own church. And Jesus is outside the door of the church at Laodicea and he's knocking. And it's like he doesn't even know if anybody's going to respond. He doesn't say all who respond, those who respond. He said, if any man. It's like Jesus is saying, I know you got your ball games. I know you got your work. I know you got your projects. I know you got your hobbies. I know you want to watch the soap operas. I know you got all those Instagram accounts that you want to follow up. And the people you got to respond to on Twitter. I know you've got all those things that you want to do. But is anybody interested in me? Does anybody want to talk with me? Does anybody want to spend time with me? If any man hear my voice and will open the door, the second part of the prescription is to admit the Savior. You know how close you are to the Lord Jesus tonight? I can tell you. You are exactly as close to the Lord Jesus as you want to be. Open the door, I will come in. Draw nigh to God, He will draw nigh to you. He is not far from every one of us. Think about the time in your Christian life you're closest to God. Your heart was right and tender. Your Bible reading was sweet. Your prayer time was a blessing. Living for God was the main thing that dominated your life. Now, if you're not as close to the Lord now as you were then, who do you suppose moved? 
I am the Lord God, I change not. I uh, was in school in Detroit, seventh grade. There was a girl in the class named Rosemary. I liked her. I thought she was cute. If I'd have picked any girl in the class to be my girlfriend, I'd have picked Rosemary. One day, Rosemary was sitting in front of me, and she turned around, and she had a little piece of paper. And she pulled it out, and, and she showed me a name written on the top of the paper, and I didn't know the name. And she said, that's my boyfriend at church. And I said, that's nice. She pointed to the second name. I did not recognize it. And she said, that's my boyfriend at home. I said, that's interesting. She pointed to the third name. I recognized it. It was my name. And she said, that's who I want for my boyfriend at school. What are you laughing at? <laughs> Anybody ever ask you to be their school boyfriend? <laughs> now, I didn't know much about it in the seventh grade, but I knew enough to know uh, I didn't want to be one of Rosemary's boyfriends. I knew enough to know I didn't want to, want to be part of a trio, you know. I knew enough to know if I was going to be your boyfriend. I wanted to be your only boyfriend. And I, I said to her, I'm not interested. I liked her. I thought she was cute. But you know what we say to the Lord Jesus? Jesus, would you be part of my life? You can have this part. I'd like to keep this part over here. We don't mean to do it. We, we in essence, say, now, Lord Jesus, I talked to you on the way to work, but these guys that I work with, they tell some bad stories and they use some language, and I've got to kind of go along to get along. So, Lord, if you don't mind, why don't you wait in the car and I'll talk to you on my break. Lord, last night we had some people from the church that were a great fellowship. I think our conversation pleased you. Tonight I get some old friends, and they're going to want to do some things. They're going to say some things you probably wouldn't like. But if you'd wait outside, I'll talk to you again before I go to bed. The Bible doesn't tell us Jesus should be part of our lives. The Bible doesn't even tell us he should be the most important part of our lives. It does say that in all things he should have the preeminence. That means first in order and foremost in importance. But you know what it says? It says when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. He's the one who saved us. He's the one we serve. He's the one we're waiting to see. He's the one whose voice we hope to hear say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He is our life. There was a newspaper man out west san francisco area very wealthy name was Rand william randolph hearst you can go see his mansion that he built today it's kind of a touring place he collected art and he read about and he wanted to add to his collection he called in a man who worked for him in that way an agent and he said get me this painting i don't care if it's a good deal or not just get it for me so the man came back sometime later said mr hearst i found the painting good did you buy it no i can't buy it you can buy it. i got plenty of money. Everybody's got their price. Mr. Hurst, I cannot buy you that painting. Why not? Well, Mr. Hurst, I found it crated up in the basement of a warehouse that you own. You bought it a long time ago with a bunch of other stuff. Isn't that what we do looking all over the place for what we already have? We have Jesus. <laughs> Him whom to know is life eternal. We have a Savior, we have a Spirit of God, the Spirit of God that indwells us. But most Christians think if they can get a bigger house, if they can get a nicer car, if they can have a fancier vacation, if they can wear finer clothes, then, then their life would mean something. 
Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I heard a preacher tell about a man in England. He was wealthy, one of the wealthiest men in the British Isles. His wife had died. They'd had one son, and he'd been killed as a fighter pilot in the Royal Air Force in World War II. Man died with no heirs, and he had a very significant, extensive, valuable collection of art, and it was announced that the art was going to be sold by Southby's, the English auction house. A lot of interest, unusual that so many pieces of so much value be offered at one time. The crowd gathered together, and the auctioneer banged his gavel down on the table, and he said, ladies and gentlemen, according to the terms of the estate, this is the item we must offer at auction first. And he pulled the cloth off of a painting sitting on an easel. It was a painting of the dead man's dead son, painted by an unknown artist, essentially worthless. But there was a man in the crowd who had been a servant to that wealthy man. He loved him. He loved the son. He thought, I'd like to have that painting. Now, the people there, they'd rather have the frame than the painting. But he bid a few dollars. Nobody bid against him. And then the auctioneer said, ladies and gentlemen, I know this will be a complete surprise to you. But according to the terms of the estate, the auction is now over. And there was a huge hubbub. And he had to bang and bang and bang and bang on his gavel. And finally, they calmed down. He said, because according to the terms of the estate, whoever purchased the picture of the son was to be given the entire collection. That's what I understand the Bible to say. It says in Him, in the Lord Jesus, we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. And I'm here to remind you, if you've forgotten it or tell you if you didn't know it, that, that if you have Jesus, you have everything. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. I know thy works. He knows mine, he knows yours. Thou art neither cold nor hot, but lukewarm. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Heavenly Father, guide me by your Spirit as I extend the invitation to do the work that you want done in every heart. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. I wonder if you're here tonight and you say, Brother, well, that I'm certainly not perfect and I surely believe there's room for me to grow, but I think as I heard the Word of God preached tonight that the Lord would look at me and say that I'm a hot Christian. I might not be a 10, but, but I think He wouldn't call me lukewarm or cold. I, I think I'd come into that hot category. If you could say that, honestly, would you slip your hand up high? I think I'd be a hot Christian. God bless you. I'm certain there are people like that. I wonder, and thank you for being honest, if you couldn't raise your hand, that means you're cold or lukewarm by your analysis. I didn't come to judge you tonight. I didn't collect the pieces of paper. But the Bible says if we would judge ourselves, we should not likewise be judged. And I wonder if you say, you know, I couldn't say I'm but I don't want to be cold or lukewarm. I don't want to be the kind of Christian that makes my Savior sick to his stomach. And I want you to pray with me, Brother Willette, that I'll begin the journey from where I am to where God wants me to be. God's dealt with me tonight. Pray with me about it. You who say that, slip your hand up high. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you.
God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, God bless you. If you raise your hand or if you didn't, but you know you should have. Would you do something a little different? Would you get up out of your seat right now and find a place to come to the altar and do business with God? I know we'll do music in a little bit and I'll ask the piano player to play, but I think sometimes it's good to cultivate the habit of immediate obedience to the Spirit of God. I was at a bowling alley with my dad years ago, mentioned an evangelist who worked out of our church that I was going to take an offering for. Dad was not doing well financially at that time. He reached into his wallet and pulled out a $50 bill he'd been hiding away. I said, Dad, you don't have to do that. We'll take an offering for him. He'll be all right. I'll never get what Dad said. He said, no, I learned that I need to obey those impulses of the Holy Spirit immediately or I will talk myself out of them later on. Lord, thank you for these who've come. Help none of us to talk ourselves out of obedience. Work in our hearts. And I pray that a very long time from now when people have forgotten where they were or who was preaching, they'll remember what you did and still be living it. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name for what you do. Amen. Would you stand?